Welcome to the Global Wellness HQ family of podcasts. We are your international headquarters for resources and ideas and insight in relation to the nine elements of holistic wellness. Join us as we interview local and international wellness experts and learn how you can implement and improve one element or dimension of wellness at a time. Our experts will share their practical tips on wellness in one of these core areas. Emotional, intellectual, occupational, physical, environmental, financial, spiritual, social, or habitual. We created our family of podcasts as a resource for anyone who is looking to integrate the nine elements of holistic wellness into their daily lives. Welcome to the show. The Global Wellness HQ family of podcasts is proudly sponsored by the Global Wellness HQ community. It's an online membership group where we meet, we share ideas, we share insights, and we all work together and help one another discover our own personal wellness journeys. If you'd like to join us, you can easily click the link below or scan the QR code, and we love hearing your stories, so we hope to see you in the community. Hi, everyone. I'm excited. Today, we have my co-host, Rick Moore. As always, thank you for joining us, Rick, and our guest, Robert Welke. Robert, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And Rick, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. All right. So, Rob, we're going to have some fun today. We, we've already talked about some things, um, you know, skydiving and, and diving and things. But why don't you, let's start with, tell us who you are and then tell us who you work with and what you actually do for your clients. Sounds good. So uh, I am a small business consultant and, and I call myself a coach, but I'm really not trained as a coach, but I call myself a coach. But I've got over 30 years experience in business, mostly working with small business in the privately owned marketplace, you know, 10 million and under in annual revenues. Um my real focus is on helping small business owners create great sustainable businesses that have some kind of realizable or sellable value at the end of the day, so that when they're ready to transition away from their working life, they have an asset, not just not just an income stream, but they have an asset that they can sell that's attractive to either another business owner or a strategic buyer who wants to buy it for top dollar. I love it. So let, let's get into who Rob is as a person. So what are you most passionate about in life? Well, most passionate about in life, there's two pieces to that, actually. One is my personal life, and one is my business life. Um, in, in person, as we talked about a little bit a while ago, um, I'm really passionate about scuba diving. I love doing it. Um, I was mentioning to you earlier that I spent, uh, I've got over 70 dives this year. I've taught over 12 open water certifications, because that's typically how I get my dives in, as I, uh, I help teach. And I just love it. Doesn't matter where I am, I, as long as I'm underwater and breathing through a regulator, I'm happy. Um, <laughs> and then there's the business part of it, and the business part of my passion, where I'm most passionate, is I love small business. Um, I'm really passionate about it. I come from a small business family. My dad had a construction company. Uh, I worked in that company when I was young. Um, I've grown up. My whole career has been around working with small businesses. Uh, I've never worked with a business with over 70 employees that did more than $10 million a year in revenue. And because I've also owned several small businesses and ran several small businesses, I really understand small business owners' trials and tribulations. You know, it, it's something it's something to really be able to understand what a business owner goes through as they build a business. 
And that's why I'm passionate about it, is I understand this, this, the struggles they have this, and the things they have to go through to make that business successful. I love it. And um, and Rick will chime in if he has any questions, but let's switch gears slightly. Um, one of the things I like to do on the show is give people practical advice. So, Rob, in your 30 years of experience, what would you say is the best advice that you've ever received and how has it impacted you to this day? Um, it's actually a piece of advice, you know, I've got, always gotten good advice from my mentors and things like that. But I think the most important piece of advice that I got initially about 30 years ago, and then it was reinforced in my last business with my last partner was keep the end in mind. Why are we here? Right? What is the reason that we're doing what we're doing? And at the end of the day, we have to have a reason for that. So our reason for being was we were going to create a sustainable business that we could pass on to our employees or to another business owner with the passion that we had. And so everything we did around our business was keeping that end in mind, right? We were growing a business. We weren't growing an income stream. We weren't growing a lifestyle business. It was going to be a business that was going to support the employees and the community for years to come. I love that. Rob, uh, you know, you and I, we met for this very reason that both of us with great interest in, in uh exiting properly yeah businesses properly and uh your your passion and your experience just really shone for me uh i'd be very interested to know you know on a day-to-day -day basis what you what are you seeing is kind of a common missing piece for most business owners as they look towards exit i think the the, the pervasive thing rick that i've seen is they're not thinking about what's going to happen when they're done, right? What is my next stage of life going to look like? Because when we sit down and talk with a business owner, we say, great, what are you passionate about outside of work? You know, golf is great. Yeah, they love golf. They love fishing. But what really drives you is a question many of them can't answer. So they haven't given it thought. And that in itself can create a problem with business owners. Because if they don't have a place to go to once they're finished working, they're not going to be successful at finished working, quite frankly. That uh, that makes so much sense to me um, because, you know, I think that if we look at it realistically, you can only play so many rounds of golf. You can, you know, yeah. you can only, uh, you know, travel. Travel's great, but, you know, at some point you probably want to keep your hand into, you know, some, a passion project of some sort. Exactly. Um, and, and, and that's the uh, thing that's missing for a lot of those guys is they don't have a right. they don't have a passion outside of work that drives them. Right. And would you would you see the uh end result of that being that they just keep working? Um that's one of the one of the um the consequences of them not having a passion outside of work. The other is they will actually sabotage the deal because they don't mm. have a place to go to. It's amazing how many deals we have heard about where the owner at the 11th hour has decided that, boy, I don't really know what I'm going to do when I get up tomorrow morning if I sign this paperwork. Uh, I, they back out. They get cold feet. Yes. Do you find that there's a, a, a little bit of a disconnect with the spouse in many cases as well in terms of what they both want out of an exit? I think that's probably a fair assessment of, or a fair comment because... Um, in many cases, and it's funny because we we sat down with a, an acquisition company that was 
acquiring a bunch of companies, did some interviews with the, the president at one point. And he said many of the business owners that they run into that they were going to buy, it was a, it was a either you do it or we're divorced kind of decision. Okay. Right. Because the wife had, you know, you've invested 30 years into our marriage, but you've invested 35 years into your business and the business always takes priority. Yes. Right? And that's, and it's like a child. And that's one of the things I think about when I think about business owners is their business is always a child that never grows up. But as a right. parent, we all have the responsibility to raise our children so that they can become independent. Yet business owners don't do that with their business. They do it with their children, but not with their business. Great insight. It's so important, I believe, that, um, you know, that there is an end in mind. You were just saying that, that, you know, when you start a business, you do have that end in mind. I, I would say most people that do, you know, that's why they chose to start a business was to have some independence. And, you know, the reality of it is it's a lot harder than just probably what they initially think about. Mm -hmm. And, but it becomes a passion as well. But if you don't have that end uh, end in mind, you know, how are you going to get there? Yeah. You, you know, think about your scuba, you know, your scuba experience. You got to have everything prepared when you go in. You got to know, hey, I, I can be down here for a certain number of minutes before I start to struggle. Yeah. And Absolutely. so there's there's an end in mind, a clear end in mind. And, and I would imagine that, uh, you know, that's something that, there's some education around when you do start talking to business owners. Yeah. And I would agree. I mean, one of the things that I've found particularly for, for a lot of the smaller businesses that I've run across is the owner started that business because they were good at what they did. They were passionate. They were not just craftsmen. They weren't just workers. They were craftsmen, right? They, they were students of their craft and they became good at it. And as a result, people said, you know, you should do this, you should do that. Or they got to the point where they said, I can do this better than my boss can. So they started their business, but they never really started the business with the idea of, well, I'm going to build a business out of this. Many of them built their business around a lifestyle type of business, which is it fed their passions, it fed their hobbies, it fed everything else, it fed their family. But it wasn't wasn't a, a focus of it was not actually building a sustainable, sellable business. And it's when they come near the end of their life cycle, if you will, where they start to realize, oh, I've got to do some things around this. But many of them are either unwilling or they're too they're too stuck in their too stuck in their routines to do it, or they've just become uncoachable because they think they know how to do everything. And one right. of the things that we we've we've found is that uh, a lot of business owners have resisted some of the recommendations and suggestions and and uh, advice that has been given to them over the years by their professional advisors because it costs too much money. Well, you know, restructuring your business to take advantage of tax loopholes is something you should be doing long before you get ready for a sale. Yet many of them will say, well, that costs too much money. But the conversation never was, well, either you pay me now or you pay me later, right? right. And, and those conversations need to be had with them. And I'm quite, fr quite frankly, I'm quite, quite comfortable telling a business owner his baby's ugly and he needs to do something about right. that. Right. Speaking of, you know, how they, you know, with kids... You, you prepare your kids for all of those things. Well, your, your, um, your business becomes like a child and you don't want to have any criticism. Nobody yep. wants to hear that their kid's a lousy hockey player or, you know, uh, can't play mm -hmm. a trumpet and is bringing the whole band down. Um, 
So when you do go in and you're you're talking to them and you are honest with them, what would you say the reaction? Is there a standard reaction that you get to that? Or um, ironically, we we don't quite phrase it as as quite frankly as "Hey, your baby's ugly. You need to fix it." <laughs> we talk about the things that they could improve to enhance the value of the business. Right. And once they understand. It's like getting it's like the scorecard we create for them, right? Because what we do is we go out and we create a scorecard for the business owner on where their business is vis-a-vis other people in their industry, right? So they we benchmark them. And once they understand that, you know, there are things that they can improve and there are ways to enhance the value by improving them, there's a lot better buy-in, right? They because if they can see the ROI on what we're going to help them with, and that's something we can provide them with, then they're far more willing to do it than you just coming in and saying, well, you got to fix this. Well, by fixing, if we come in with the perspective, by fixing this or by enhancing this or changing this a little bit, we can create this much value. That's a far better conversation and, and a far more palatable conversation and one that they're willing to engage in. Yeah. Okay. That, and that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, how, how long, what would be ideal I guess ideal would be the day they start a business, they're working with you towards it. But uh, what you're seeing in this environment today, how long should they be engaging with you prior to wanting to sell? That date, they've got an end date. When should they be talking to you? Um, ideally, I'm going to say five years out, they should be engaging with us. And I should caution people that it's not a five-year engagement with us. Uh, our engagement can last that long, potentially. It just depends on how much work needs to be done. But at the end of the day, our engagement is typically we start with a year and we say, we need to work on these priority things over the next 12 months. And if we can teach you how to do it yourself and you can execute that discipline internally yourself, then you can do it on your own. You don't need us anymore. But what we do is we give them the execution framework and we give them the execution discipline and if they can if they can act on that discipline and build their team to work with that discipline, then they can do it themselves. But we give them the roadmap, right? However, back to the original question, how far out? Five years would be ideal. A minimum of two, of two years if there needs to be any corporate restructuring done or anything needs to be done with respect to the tax handling of tax within okay. the company. Simply and, and, because of the rules that Revenue Canada has around cooling off. Right. That brings me to a, a great point or a great question. Um, I would see your role as the key role, the quarterback, because I know from experience, and you've just mentioned it with restructuring and tax issues, you're not the only people that they need to engage with. Absolutely and, not. Yeah. So maybe walk us through what that would look like if you came in and they didn't have a team in place. What would you need to who would you need to introduce them to and work with? Okay, let's start by by framing the whole thing a little bit differently. Um, okay. Let's talk about a hockey team, right? A hockey team has players on the team, and they're all skilled at what they do, right? They have a team captain. They have defensemen. They have forwards. They have wingers. They have a center. They all know what their role is. That's the business, and that's the business owner. Our job is really to coach them like a, like a professional coach. And the reason I call it, say we're more of a professional coach is that it's not our job to teach them how to do their job. It's our job to bring the best out in all the players of the team. 
So when we go in, we act more as the overarching coordinator, like the general manager slash coach, and we bring in the experts that are needed for the different things that need to happen. So if they need specialty teams like a tax advisor, because they need to do some restructuring, we will we will talk to we will use their advisor if they're an appropriate advisor, or we will introduce them to a, an appropriate tax advisor if they need to do some restructuring corporately and need some legal advice around that, or need shareholders agreements or unanimous you know unanimous shareholders agreements or or buy sell agreements in place. We will introduce them to the people who can help them with that. Uh, personal financial planning is a huge piece of what what we do is in exit planning, because if they don't have a clear picture of what they need to support their retirement needs, then how are you going to get there? And if they have some assets and they're, they've invested some assets and they're growing, but they have an income need that is not being met by those assets, then we need to figure out what the business is worth and identify what we need to make the business worth ultimately for them to be able to close that gap. So we talk about a number of different things and bring in specialists along the way. HR people, we bring in HR people. We bring in the M&A advisor when the time is appropriate. So it, it's a huge team sport. And I like to say that what we do is actually a team sport. It's it's not, we don't do anything other than coordinate people and provide the framework around which that happens. It's, uh, that's such a key, key role. Um, as business owners who have run their own business, um, they're probably reticent to ask for help, but once they realize the scope of what you, you do, I would, I would imagine it takes an entire burden off of them to realize, Hey, I don't know all of this. This is, this is what I need Robert for. Yep. That, that's really what our purpose is, is to help them understand what they don't know and then help them guide them through that path. You know, back to your scuba uh, uh, diving, they are in the water without a regulator. You're the regulator. <laughs> in a sense, you're, yeah. the one, you're the one that's uh, going to help them breathe and get back up to the surface and the surface being that successful exit. It's um, an interesting analogy. Jeff, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, any questions? Sure. Well, I think, oh, um, you know, as people are building their team, Rob, um, you're probably uniquely suited to answer this question, but what are some practical things that they can do today and, and make their lives easier? Um, what are some tips you give them on building their team of advisors? Because again, it is a team sport. Um, the only people I see that uh, go it alone, they tend to struggle more than they need to. So what are some things you would recommend or tips you'd throw out for people who don't know where to start? Um, I would I would actually start internally first with their their existing internal team, not the external team. We'd have to make sure that we've got the right people in the right seats facing the right direction to make sure that that company is capable of being sellable, right? So that would be the place one of the places we start. Once we've done the strategic planning piece with them, it's really we start with the people because if you don't have the people, you won't be successful. So one of the things we talk a lot about with our clients is role success scorecards for people. We help them identify what's going to make a person successful in their role. And that includes adherence to the corporate values, right? So they're living the company values and how you're going to measure them and how you can hold them accountable for those success characteristics. So we actually build what's called a role success scorecard. And then we find the right people through the, with the right process 
to get them in their seat or mentor the existing people into those roles with the right supports. So the next thing is, then we need to have a clear understanding of, of when they would like to be out. And it's when, once we understand what their time frame is, then we can start to bring the appropriate external advisors in to assist, right? If they need systems and processes, uh, like a sales, a proper sales system and a proper sales management process, we have people we could bring in for that. If they have uh, a need for tax restructuring or, the, you know, their accountant is your basic compliance accountant and they haven't talked to an advanced tax accountant because they've got some complex family issues, we would, we would want to introduce them to, to an advanced tax planning accountant with enough time that things can get done. Uh, lawyers, again, HR people, uh, personal financial planners. We've introduced most of our business owners to personal financial planners because all they've ever had is wealth advisors, not personal financial planners. Um, and then, you know, those kinds of things, it, it, it all depends on the strategic plan and the timeframe that we're working with. I love that. And I think the the key piece of advice I'm going to pull out is have that timeframe, have that plan. And, um, for what it's worth, when I work with people, uh, who are talking about launching a business, my first question, which is really annoying to them at that stage is what's your exit strategy? Yeah. And I actually had one young pair of entrepreneurs. They were both in their twenties and um, accidentally we, we destroyed their project before it started because one said, well, I want a two year exit and I'm out of here. And the other one was like, this is my life's mission and I'm here for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And I just, I was shocked because it had never quote unquote come up. And it was like, wow, that's a different, you know, one's looking to date and one's looking to get married for life. And Well, it's interesting to say that because that the value set of the company really determines the type of people and who you should be working with. Yeah. And they, to me, it sounds like they've not really identified their core values to each other. So they weren't working off the same song sheet. And it was fascinating because they, you know, it was by accident because we'd had probably a couple of meetings and, you know, we talked about forecasts and financing and capital and, and it just, I had this weird feeling I needed to ask the question and they both looked at me like, well, you know, it's obvious we're going to, and they literally said at the same time, one was, we're going to prepare to sell. One was, we're, we're going to grow for a life. And, and they, the stunned silence when they looked at each other, um, yeah. So I love that insight to have that, um, you know, have that sort of exit timeline. And again, with a lot of tax planning, a lot of strategies, um, you know, I had a client who, when I was an accountant, wanted to minimize his taxes. So we, you know, we, we legitimately deducted everything we could and we minimized his taxes. And then he took his business to a broker and the broker said, well, your business is worthless. You've drained all the value out of the company. And he actually said, you've screwed me over. And I said, no, 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 no. You came to me. Your objective was to minimize tax. Now you're telling me, oh, by the way, I'd like to sell it tomorrow. Um, you can't shift gears that quickly in a business. Well, in, in fact, they're diametrically opposed in many cases, right? Yeah, because if you want to if you want to sell a business, it has to be attractive to a buyer and there has to be value, perceived value in it. And that perceived value starts with financials yeah. in every case. Right. And if there's no there's no profitability there vis-a-vis -vis other companies in that sector, then there's there's no no perceived value in it. Yeah. 
if I can editorialize here for a half a second, uh, you know, in the capital raising world, um, people are always asking, you know, if they're going to invest money, well, what's the exit strategy? And, you know, yeah. these are, these are early stage companies. And I always say the best exit strategy is a proper entrance strategy. And part of that proper entrance strategy, you just uh, reminded me of this is, is being in alignment with who you're going into business with having yeah. those conversations, because, you know, we know that businesses fail early on and a lot of it, you know, Oh, me and my brother will go into business together. Well, you're great brothers and you love each other, but it doesn't mean you can necessarily work together. And, you know, so you've got to be that entrance strategy of being aligned with your partners and knowing how long you want to work for. If you, if you nail that, then the exit strategy will play out properly in my mind. Exactly. Yeah. Again, you're essentially saying begin with the end in mind. Yeah. Yeah. And Which I know, I know from talking, uh, you know, and sitting with you over, over beers and, uh, and chatting with you and Brad over the years that, you know, you guys have the experience that when you do sit down with somebody, you can say, Hey, we've, we've been there, you know, and you can talk to them on their level. So, you know, maybe, maybe just give us a little bit of a flavor of your your experience, what you've done leading into this that, that allows you to be on the same page with these people? Sure. Um, my first foray into my own business was back in 1991, where we started an environmental company, an associate of mine. And our, our focus was to, to raise $10 million because we needed, to, we needed to secure the equipment. We needed to bring it into the country. Um, we went through the process before we even started the capital raise of building the business plan and getting the licensing in place with Alberta Environment. So we were the first company in the province to actually be licensed to treat hazardous waste outside of Swan Hills. And we did it because we understood the regulations and we understood them thoroughly. Um, so we did that. We raised the $10 million. The exit strategy for us was going public. Um, when we did end up going public a year and a half after we did the capital raise, I left the company uh, for my own reasons, and um, the company failed three years later, but that's beside the point. Uh, so, you know, starting up a brand new business, raising $10 million, the whole process of building the business mm -hmm. plan, dealing with regulators and all that provides, you know, a, a broad and vast level of experience to anybody who's never done it. Um, yes. I followed that up with uh, my own personal financial planning practice for 10 years. And then one of my clients approached me and asked me to sell my practice to help him build an oil field service company because he had known me for a few years. His dad was a friend of mine. And he said, you know what? I really like the way you do things. I know you've got experience running a business. You've been in business before. Come, come help me. So he ended up enticing me over the course of six months to do that. So I ended up selling my financial planning practice and went off and helped him with his business. When I joined the company, the year end was a $250,000 year end that was that was our our revenue uh by the when i left the business in 2018 we were doing five and a half billion dollars a year and we had two separate companies and we had built it from essentially scratch to 35 employees working for all the majors uh doing in, inspection integrity work around the province a very good reputation but we had built systems and processes uh deliberately and and with very focused effort because we knew that we wanted to sell the business 
right? That was the whole reason that I came and joined them is we're going to be, build a sellable asset. And we did have an offer back in 2014. Uh, we had private equity uh, approach us and say they wanted to buy us out. We went through the due diligence process. They gave us an LOI, went through the due diligence process. Unfortunately, that fell through at, at the at the ninth hour or the 11th hour because of the price of oil falling through the floor. Yeah, we took too long doing due diligence. The the money went away because nobody wanted to invest in the oil and gas industry as a result of the fall in the price of oil. So we just continued operations. And then my partner passed away from cancer a couple of years later. Oh, and that's when I exited the business. Right, right. Well, and so for business owners that are, you know, tuning in and listening, that is the type of experience. I call that gray haired experience that you need when when you're looking at you know being coached in your business and selling your business you need somebody that's like like you rob that's been there you know from a startup to advising businesses in your financial planning to you know being like you say 11th hour due diligence somebody trying to buy you that is all such valuable experience mm -hmm. it, you, you can't buy that experience quite you frankly. cannot no book is going to teach you that no exactly yeah. So if I had pom-poms right now, I'd be going, rah, 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 rah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> now, Rob, we're uh, going to run out of time. And uh, unfortunately, I could, I think we could talk to you for hours about this. Um, first and foremost, if people want to get to know you, they want to connect with you, um, what's the best way to get in touch with you and learn more about you and, and what you're working on? Um, I think there's three best ways. One is to reach me, reach out via email. And that email is rwelke at proactive.ca. And proactive is spelled P-R-O-A-C-T-V dot C-A. The other is to reach me directly by, by my phone, which is 587-577-9380. And of course, the third is always on LinkedIn. And my name is Rob Welke, spelled W-E-L-K-E. Awesome. I love it. Now, Rob, there there's an inevitable point in the show because you're an expert in what you do and I'm not. Uh, is there any questions I should have asked you that um, your, our listeners need to hear, but uh, I didn't think to ask so you can enlighten us? Um, you know, it's funny because you, you had a bunch of questions you had. You had me to, to kind of review to prepare for this. One of the ones that stuck in me are one of the three biggest mistakes that you see clients making in their personal wellness journeys right now, right? And COVID hasn't helped at all, of course, but the, the three things that I thought about, and, and I, I thought about this a lot, and the first thing was not taking care of themselves physically and mentally. Two of my mentors in my life passed away in the middle of building a business from cancer, right? So they weren't paying attention to the signs and they weren't taking care of themselves mentally or physically. That's really what it boiled down to, right? Yeah. Yeah. Secondly, is spending too much time in the business and not creating a clear vision for their life after work business, right? Or their life after work. Um, they tend to be, business owners tend to uh, be very um, uh, reactive and not proactive in that area. They need to start thinking about it sooner and start thinking about, you know, if, if I wasn't doing this, what would be the best thing that I could be doing that I would enjoy so much? Right. And it's not fishing. It's not scuba diving. It's what other value creating opportunity could they do outside of business? Right. And I guess the third one that I came came to is try and try and get a clear purpose for what your life is going to look like after business. Right. right? Think about the things. Right. 
stop and smell the flowers occasionally and say, okay, what is it that makes me truly happy? And think about what you can do to help people to support that, that goal of you being happy in doing that. Like right. So charitable work, yeah. setting up a foundation. Exactly. Um, like that. I've got a friend of, the, of mine that goes down to the, goes down to the uh, Central America twice a year uh, with their church to help build schools. Oh, that that's what that's what that's what moves the soul right i've yeah. got another friend of mine that loves going to nicaragua to help uh business like like to, to help fund and support uh, uh micro loans for business owners in those you know let's go buy this family mm. a goat and teach them how to milk the goat rather than you know give the money that they could spend on food right it, it's that kind of stuff that you know pulls on people's heartstrings and makes them feel more fulfilled because quite frankly at the end of the day Work is a means to an end. If you don't yes. know what the end is, you're, you're, you're going to be very sad for the, at the end of your life. <laughs> what makes you happy and what makes the people around you happy for you being happy? Love it. Yeah, Love those it. are very, very wise words. Yes, very wise words. Thank you very much, Rob. It's been well, a thank a you for having me. Real pleasure having you on the show. And uh, Rick, do you have any final thoughts or questions for Rob before we wrap up? Not uh, necessarily questions, just that, you know, as I said, when Rob and I met each other, we met for, for this very reason that we had identified, you know, uh, this need for businesses to be guided towards that successful exit. You work too hard to and take too much risk in building a business to be unguided at the end and, and be that person that just has to shut the doors and what have you. And so, you know, I just highly encourage people to talk to Rob and also just thank you, Rob, for taking this on and, and making it your life's work. It's, it's much needed. So thank, thank you. you. And thank you, you for know your what? time it, today. Yeah. Thank you. It's funny because when I first started looking at this arena, I was absolutely stunned and shocked by yeah. what I found, right? Yeah. If you look around you, one half of every business in this province one half of all the businesses in this province are owned by people over 65 years old, right? There's something wrong with that, right? Yeah. And the, the simple fact that we know that not every business is sellable, but, but if only one in 10 is sellable, which is what we've seen, that's going to make for some pretty mm -hmm. difficult circumstances in communities around this province and around this country in the next five to 10 years. Because if 90% of businesses, well, 90% of 50% of businesses or four out of every 10 businesses goes out of business in the next five years, what's that going to do to our communities? What's that going to do to Stetler, Provost, Wainwright, right. High River, right? Lethbridge, you know, it's mostly the smaller communities that I'm concerned about yeah. because they're the ones that are, are most vulnerable because if they don't have these businesses right. that are successful and of creating, you know, sustainable employment and a tax base for that those communities. What's going to happen to them? Absolutely, yeah. well, good, great insight. Something to thank ponder you. and and think about. What does that exit look like? So, thank you very much, Rob. Appreciate. It. Thanks for having me.
Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. We hope that you enjoyed this episode and we invite you to either click the link below or scan the QR code to register and listen to other episodes of our podcast. Or if you think your business or you would be a great guest to be on our show, we're always looking for experts in one of the nine elements of holistic wellness. We'd love to have you. You can either click the link below or you can scan the QR code and complete our speaker intake form. Thank you and to your wellness.